Welcome to the Maximus Podcast with your hosts, Joe Sabula and Bobby Maximus. We are sponsored by Lalo Tactical, L-A-L-O.com. Use the code Maximus50 for a big discount on the official shoes of the Maximus Podcast. Also check out 10,000, T-E-N-T-H-O-U-S-A-N-D dot C-C. Use the code Maximus15 for a big discount. We are super excited uh, to have a personal friend of Joe's on the show today, uh, an incredible ice climber. Uh, his name is Ari Novak. And Ari, I got to ask you, uh, Joe's going to kind of take the lead on this one because you guys have a rich history. But uh, have you ever climbed the ice cliffs of Lake Superior in Thunder Bay? Uh, I've climbed on Superior, but on the Michigan side. So there's okay. an awesome uh, ice climbing festival called the Michigan Ice Fest. And there's all these routes uh, that are on the Michigan side of the UP, but uh, I haven't climbed up on Thunder Bay. I always wanted to, um, but uh, it's on the tick list for sure. All right. The only reason I know about that, I'm not exactly a climber, but I know because I lived in Thunder Bay for a no while. No way. Yeah. So I'm, I'm from the great white north. Why don't we go uh, ice climb, the three of us? You know, I don't climb anything. I'm scared. To <laughs> death so no, thank you. I'm out. <laughs> i bet i'll get joe out of an ice climb i still it, it, hope it'll happen it will happen i just i don't know how or when or why but i'm i guarantee it will happen at some point uh especially the after, is easy. it's the most fun thing you can do with your clothes on so i oh, mean that's, that's a fair way to put it um af- after i watched your film uh himalayan ice like yeah i got a little bit of a bug i kind of want to try it out uh, especially because there was those scenes in the beginning where like you're basically teaching people who'd never climbed ice how to do it. And it seemed uh, it just seemed more approachable than if if like when we first met and you're like, yeah, I climb ice. And I'm like, like, what do you mean ice? And you're like, yeah, like frozen waterfalls. Like I climb up them. And it's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> a lot. But yeah, you're 100 percent right. I mean, ice climbing is accessible to anybody. I've taught people as young as like a nine-year-old little girl. I've taught a 73-year-old gentleman and everyone in between. And part of my job as a professional ice climber is I go around the country teaching people how to ice climb Um, and mainly beginners and get them charged up, um, kind of pushing their boundaries physically and mentally of what they think is possible. And for me, it's super empowering because just like you, I heard like ice climbing, that sounds crazy. Like, you know, for suicidal people who like the cold, this must be for you. And then I tried it and it completely transformed my life. And now I'm lucky enough to share that with people. So it's been a kind of a crazy journey. All right. Well, I want to, I just want to go back just so people know kind of uh, what our connection is. So we met, uh, and I'm going to probably get this wrong, two, maybe three years ago. You were, yeah. you were in the Twin Cities. Uh, you were looking for a trainer. Because uh, it was yep. kind of your off season. Because ice climbing, climbing obviously is not a year round thing. A frozen waterfall Sadly. is not frozen all year round. Um, and and that you you had been a fan of uh, of bodies and of the the podcast and of me. And you just reached out, and I was like, yeah, come on down. We'll we'll do some training. And so you and I were training together for, gosh, for a while. I mean, it was a regular couple times a week. We were doing some pretty intense training. Um, yeah, it was it was. A- Great time that you and I met, and it's kind of cool because it's because of Bobby. You and Bobby were doing one of the seminars, and he had tagged you in it on Instagram, and I'd seen that you were working in the Twin Cities. And at the time, I had to go to the Twin Cities for an extended period of time leading up to uh, this expedition I was leading into the Himalayas. 
And basically, I was real concerned. One, I was going from Montana, where I live, to basically sea level. And two, I was going out to the Himalayas to do kind of some new stuff uh, for me, um, you know, kind of pushing the limits. So I wanted to really raise up uh, my physical ability. And obviously, uh, you know, I knew Bobby through the climbing or the, you know, the world of training uh, through Jim Jones and things like that. I knew of him. I saw you were there and he was like, oh, this guy's amazing. I don't remember exactly what he wrote about you, but I was like, second I get to the Twin Cities, I got to look up this guy, Joe Sabula. And uh, we became friends quick. Yeah. Well, training together, that's bound to happen. I didn't yeah. realize that I was a human Tinder for you too. Yeah, I mean, really, you were a human <laughs> Tinder for sure. I swipe. I we both swiped right. Thank God. <laughs> so, all right, tell me a little bit about how you got into climbing, because, like you said, it is it is kind of weird on the surface. So, what's the story? So, my journey into climbing is kind of a miraculous one. My background is as far away from climbing as you could possibly imagine. Uh, I was born just outside New York City. I grew up in Buffalo, New York. Uh, I went to NYU. I studied film, and I was a filmmaker and a TV producer, uh, which is still what I call my day job. In the summertime, I still work in film and TV. And I was assigned by Discovery Channel to develop a new TV show for them. And basically, what they wanted was like a deadliest catch, but on the mountain. So they put together basically like a list of cities where they knew like mountain guides would be either working or gathering. And I had to go out there and basically look for characters and see if there might be a TV show there. Uh, pretty sweet job. And there was nine places on there. And one of them was this place called Bozeman, Montana. Never been there. And it was during what was called the Bozeman Ice Fest. Um, and it was mid sort of trip. So I'd sort of gotten the flow. We were like backcountry skiing with different guides in Salt Lake and in Jackson Hole. And they were all very similar. They were all kind of like these young strapping dudes, like, you know, kind of their IFMGA pins on their woolen sweater and super badass. And then I showed up in Bozeman and everyone's like, you got to meet this guy, Gee. 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 What? Is this like a sound or a person? Or And Gee, Bobby, you'll appreciate this, was this Canadian guy who was in his mid-50s, who had a skullet. He had, like, no hair on top, but he had a mullet. So we called it a skullet. And he was, like, the Michael Jordan of ice climbing. He was a soloist, uh, if you're familiar with, like, Alex Honnold and uh, his style of climbing without a rope. He was a, the best soloist on ice. So I sit down and I interview him, and the guy's amazing. I mean, blew me out of my chair with stories. He, in the summertime, would plant trees where you can see from uh, outer space in Canada, the clear cuts, because uh, he wanted to get back to the natural earth. There was a story about like an injured grizzly bear that attacked a tree planter and he fought him up with like a little hand shovel. I mean, the guy was insane. And Typical you Canadian, right? Like, <laughs> oh, you know, a big, oh yeah, you know, oh yeah, you know, the bear was pretty big kind of guy. And very humble, very cool. I was like, wow, this guy's a TV show. So I called the network that night. I said, I think I got the guy. And I talked to Guy, and the next morning there was this thing called the Icebreaker Competition uh, out in this canyon called Highlight Canyon, where basically all these climbers compete to see who can climb more routes. So they have to like run to the route, climb it, run to the next route. I was like, Guy, can I film you during the competition for the show? He goes, Yeah, sure. That day, I slept through my alarm. Oh. I'd never slept through an alarm in my entire life. 
my producing partner slept through his alarm too. We wake up, we're like 15, 20 minutes late, we're racing out to the canyon and we miss him. The competition started. He ran off. They're like, you'll never catch Guy. He's just too fast. Uh, we'll have to film with someone else. And that day, Guy died walking to the climb in an oh, hour. Wow. And it really affected me deeply. Um, there was this beautiful, incredible man, athlete, uh, just human being, you know, a type of guy who was super true to his values. Like values weren't a word or a slogan. You, you know, from his story and from his ethics, you could see he lived them. And suddenly he was just gone, walking, you know, to a climb. Uh, someone above him had triggered an avalanche and it was just wrong place, wrong time. And uh, the way the community sort of grieved uh, was both sad and beautiful because it was so real and it was so uh, from the heart and it was so profoundly sad. And we were set to leave. That happened on a Friday. We were set to leave Bozeman on a Sunday. And I asked the organizers of the festival um, if I could climb a pitch of ice, you know, on top rope, which means that, you know, it's safe for a beginner. Uh, if I could climb a pitch. And they're like, yeah, sure. So they set me up with the boots and the ice tools and everything. And I can remember the moment my pick hit the ice, it was like the world stopped and started going the other way. <laughs> I was in love. And it took me like a half hour to climb this thing, which is something now that I would climb in like under a minute, like, you know, <laughs> 30, 40 seconds. But I got to the top. I was screaming. I was so uh, excited about this thing. Uh, and this feeling that uh, ice climbing gave me and the people uh, and the connection, this deep connection that I uh, experienced. Uh, and I went back to LA where I lived at the time and I was kind of in this hollow relationship and I felt like I was living this hollow life and I felt that I needed to make a big change. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. So I started pursuing climbing and uh, here I am uh, over 10 years later now uh, a professional. So it's yeah. kind of crazy. Ari, I, I have a random question to just kind of like listening to you. Um, you and Will Gad have a climb off right now. Who wins? Oh, Will's my mentor. So Will wins every day. <laughs> I love Will. Will is my homie. Uh, and I owe so much of my career. So Guy and Will would climb together. And through that tragedy, Will and I became friends. And Will's been an awesome, awesome mentor uh, through the years for me. Uh, you know, even when I was this bumbling kid from New York or L.A. or everywhere where the mountain folks don't want you to be coming up to the mountains, Will saw something in me and uh, kept believing in me, even when you need a lot of imagination to believe in me. Uh, I certainly wouldn't be sitting here today if it wasn't for Will Gatt. So right. it's, it's, it's funny. I told Joe I don't know nothing about this Ari guy, but... Will Gad is a name that Canadians are very proud to be Canadian. And so if you're Canadian like me, you know about random Canadian things. And, and I think he, I think he climbed Niagara Falls. I think like the, the stars aligned and it froze for like the first time in an eon and he climbed up it. So yeah, a hundred percent. I'm a little bit involved in that. So I grew up on Buffalo and Will and I were out climbing together and I was chatting about how my grandfather used to tell me when he was young, Niagara Falls used to freeze. And we would joke like, you know, that'd be like, you know, because they rate climbs like it basically was from two to seven. And we joked that that'd be like water ice 20 or something like that. 
And it was sort of like an offhanded joke. And I remember standing, there's a picture years before he climbed it on Facebook. And I tagged him and I said, Will, it's going to go, baby. And of course, it was like in the middle of summer. It was like just flowing. And uh, sure enough, uh, he did it. And I was proud because my grandmother is from Toronto. My grandfather's from Buffalo. So I've... Um, you know, I'm a Canadian wannabe, so to speak. Like, you know, I love uh, all things like I love hockey. I love ice. I love the cold poutine, you name it. Like I feel, I feel those Canadian roots still, uh, you know, coursing through my veins. So uh, yeah, love Will for sure. So you, so you get into climbing, you kind of start off with this. You said you, you went back to LA, started rethinking your life. What did the transition from being like full-time producer working in like a full-time job, how did you start getting more and more? Like when did it switch from now I'm an ice climber who also does film? Yeah. So uh, I know exactly sort of the switch and when it happened. And I feel really fortunate that I, I noticed it and realized it in uh, not just like sort of a basic way, like, Hey, I'm going to pursue this, but in sort of a metaphysical way. So what happened was, is the following year, uh, I made a film about Guy, and I was invited back to the Bozeman Ice Festival to present that film. Um, but that fall, I got in a car accident, and uh, it completely destroyed my left shoulder. And I remember the first thing I said to my buddy is, I'm never going to ice climb again. And he's freaking out. And of course, you get in a car accident, like you're like, oh my God, are you alive? And the first thing, like I was a passenger, I turned to him, I was like, I'm never going to ice climb again. So it was already like kind of seeping in, even though at that point I'd only climbed two pitches of ice in my entire life. So I come back that winter and I'm in a sling and I present the film, but I still decide to climb. So I like do a full right hand swing and this tiny little hook with my like left hand that's stuck in the sling because I want to do it again. But, you know, once again, I can only climb a pitch or two. It was that following winter, though, that I was healthy and I could do it. And I was working this big job for the BBC and Discovery. Uh, at that point, I had uh, had this really cool position. I was designing a museum on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And it was very interactive. And I'd spend most of the summer in the Middle East, in the desert. Um, so I was in pretty good shape. And I came out of that job. And I had a little bit of money saved up. And what was ironic is the network had paid for a year of a really nice apartment in New York City for me. And I remember I left the apartment in like late October, early November to go sleep on a buddy's couch or floor in Bozeman. And I basically abandoned that apartment for months because I just committed to go climbing ice. And I was on this one particular route. And there was this kind of like record playing through my head. Is this what I'm doing? Is this what I'm doing? And suddenly halfway up this route, it changed from, is this what I'm doing? to this is what I'm doing. It went from this is like, this is what I'm doing with a question mark to this is what I'm doing with a period. And I knew in my heart, in my body, in my the marrow, my bones, I was put on planet earth to climb ice. And I didn't know why, but I knew I was going to commit to it. And at that moment on that very climb, everything changed. And I started pursuing it differently, eating differently, going after it in a much more uh, honest, deep way. It wasn't like some weird phase. It was, this is what I'm doing. And uh, there's this uh, Hebrew word, it's called das. And it means uh, essentially commitment. Um, and 
I studied philosophy, Eastern philosophy. And one of these philosophies of Das basically was you have to commit fully to these ideas. And uh, I committed on that climb to this, uh, to this life, so to speak. All right. So, so now during climbing season, you're climbing, right? Yeah. So, you know, the ice usually comes in in late October and it, in Bozeman, we have a canyon called Highlight Canyon, which is some of the best ice climbing in the lower 48. And they close the road to vehicular traffic on April 1st. So generally, that's about when I shut it down. Um, so I'll climb ice for about six months of the year. Okay. And then the other six months, you work basically to, to kind of make the next season function, right? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, that took some sacrifice. Like, I think I was on a trajectory professionally that I'd probably be in a different place right now with my, let's say, filmmaking or producing career. But I kind of wanted to keep on that path of uh, living my values, uh, kind of like that, that idea that Guy introduced me into very, that first day. Um, so I kind of moved from just producing whatever to trying to produce things that were more in line with my values. So I got out of like kind of reality TV and non-scripted things. I started producing more children's programming. So in the summertime, um, in the past 10 years, I've produced like eight kids movies, uh, many of which have been released by Lionsgate. So my specialty, they know me in uh, LA is the talking dog guy because I've directed so many talking dog movies. So it's kind of random, like in the, you know, summer I'm directing talking dog movies and I've got all my climbing bum friends, like, you know, on the set with me doing random jobs because they're all used to sleeping in trucks and like, you know, don't need a lot of money. So this is like, what? This is a killer job. And it's only for three weeks. And then I can go back to climbing versus like normal people like, what? I'm not going to work for three weeks in like shitty conditions. They're all stoked. So it kind of worked out uh, in that respect. I'm, I'm interested. We, uh, we recently interviewed Andy Horowitz, who's a, a full-time Hollywood producer. And he was just kind of running down like the, the chore of producing, especially a major motion picture, like a big, big project. So for you, are you like when you're off, when you're just ice climbing, are you still kind of producing? Like, are you setting up the next project at that time? You know, trying to, you know, it's funny because Bobby brought up Will Gadd and he once asked me, he goes, you know, you're really good at both things. What's the secret to it? And the secret for me has been laser beam focus. When I'm ice climbing, I'm ice climbing. Like the year you and I started, uh, we met and we're training together. I had laser beam focus. I didn't even realize like the plates on my truck were six months like past, like being re-registered. I was so focused on being mentally and physically prepared for that expedition that like things were falling by the wayside, including I got offered to direct a pretty big movie and turned it down. It was the first time in my career I ever turned down work. Mm. Uh, Cause literally like in the movie business, like the first time you turn down work is the last time you work. And, I don't know. Thus far, that's keeping true. I haven't been offered another movie since. I'm a little scared. <laughs> but uh, I, I can't I, blame you because you were training with me, and who would want to pass up the opportunity to continue that, right? <laughs> it's true. I mean, we had a lot of fun. I mean, you know, you did so much great work for me on helping me uh, kind of redesign my diet, redesigning my physical abilities. There are climbing moves, um, such as something called a, a figure four, where you're hanging off a single tool and have like a leg basically draped over the tool. So it takes a lot of flexibility and strength to reach uh, another hold. And before I trained with you, I had a lot of trouble with that. And now, you know, my home gym, like I literally can do, you know, multiple figure fours and figure nines, which is where you switch the leg and go up and down and up and down. Mm -hmm. 
so there was like real tangible differences in my climbing ability uh, because of the work you put into me. And then I was able to, you know, pour into myself. So, you know, I can't thank you enough, but the focus really was that, um, that I had to be laser beam. Now that I'm not in an expedition year, so I kind of go like every other year uh, on like an expedition. Um, we'll see, you know, with world travel and things being different, uh, yeah. who knows if I'll get out on another one this year. But, you know, generally, uh, you know, managing the movie business, I'll try to keep it in a box and then keep ice climbing sort of in that October to April sort of box. And it's hard because, you know, you go to Alaska and have friends that go up in April and kind of extend that uh, period out. But, you know, for me, I couldn't, you know, keep a roof over my head or food on the table if I just dedicated my life to climbing all year. Because although, you know, I'm a quote unquote professional, they don't really pay you enough ice climbing, to, you know, keep the lights on. So a lot of us have to do other things. Um, and, you know, that works for me. Yeah. So I, I actually have a question about that. I fought in the UFC when we made nothing. Yeah. Um, and it seems parallel to me because ice climbing's fairly dangerous. I can't imagine it's safe. Fighting in a cage is fairly dangerous. And you're doing this thing you love for, I mean, peanuts at the end of the day. Like you're not making LeBron James money. And, and no one in MMA was either – with the the filmmaking, did that was that a passion of yours, or did that develop as like a way to quote unquote pay the bills, if you know what I mean? Yeah. So filmmaking, uh, I always had a passion for cameras and photography. My grandfather was uh, working for Kodak and a real avid uh, photographer. So since the time I could walk, I always had like a, a Nikon camera in my hand, and I learned he was a fine artist. He was a painter and uh, my upbringing was such that he was really influential uh, in my uh, life. So that was real heavy. Um, but I always had this athletic component to my life. So from the time maybe I was like nine through 17, I was real serious about baseball. Um, so my little league coach was literally Pete Rose. Uh, I trained day and night. Uh, I would hit thousands of baseballs a day. I was a, a prospect at 16, um, but I came up in the steroid era. And, um, you know, I'm a 5'9 Jewish guy, so, you know, I weigh about 160. And they literally showed up, like, on the college team with, like, you know, the junk and the needle and everything to go and said, hey, do you want to do this or not? And my answer was no. And that kind of ended my baseball career. So I kind of fell back into film because I kind of had this um, – terrible experience, honestly, like, you know, in baseball and losing that passion, kind of getting robbed of the opportunity to continue to, you know, push that because it just wasn't like, you know, huge enough. If maybe if I knew you back then, I could have gotten like, you know, big and ripped. Uh, but, you know, when I'm 16, uh, so at 16 years old, I played, I was a starting shortstop for my college. So uh, I was not very big, but I was really, really good. And um, unfortunately, at that point, physicality limited uh, what I was able to do in that career. So I love film, but it was always secondary to like the baseball or now, you know, I certainly identify as I'm an ice climber uh, and I also make films. So I love filmmaking. I love telling stories, but um, I certainly in my bones feel uh, that I'm a, a climber. 
um, you know, and that's who I am. Yeah, yeah, back up a second. I'm stuck. Like, do you mean Charlie Hustle, like, was your coach for real? Like 4,256 4, career hits, Pete Rose. When you say uh, he was, literally was your coach, you talked to him on the fucking internet? Or, like, did you actually... No, no, no. Like, so I lived in Boca Raton, Florida, and so did he. And my Little League team had this kid named Tyler, and his last name was Rose. And you show up, and it's Tyler Rose, like, named after Ty Cobb. So... Pete Rose was my little league coach and I was this troublemaking kid. My folks split up when I was very young. I had an abusive mom. So I was a real rabble rouser. I, you know, I was like a garden hose that was full tilt with no hand on the hose. And he sees me and kind of like, Will, he, he saw something in me and was willing to kind of take a leap for an investment because uh, as memory serves me, Tyler quit the team, but Pete kind of stayed with it and stayed with me and kind of guided me through those kind of like younger years when I was like kind of going from 12 to 15, kind of becoming a teenager and would help me out if I got in trouble in school and, you know, I would skip school and he'd like, you know, throw me batting practice and stuff like that. And he took me to the track, you know I mean? He definitely, you know, he lived up to his reputation <laughs> and I, you know, I, as much, you know, it sounds like, Oh, Ari's kind of a buckle down guy. I like to have a good time too. So even in my younger years, Pete and I got along. There's always a lot of like, you'd hang out with a lot of Playboy playmates and things like that. And, you know, that kind of like, you know, helped meld the young Ari mind into like, wow, the world's really interesting. Um, <laughs> so you, you are way cooler than I thought. This is like, <laughs> well, I have, I, I want to get off the podcast now. I've actually got a box over there, Joe. I've got more Pete Rose baseball cards than you can. All right, no I don't know if you me. No, no, no. I have an extensive collection of sports memorabilia. In my garage right now, I've got a Lou Brock autographed uh, poster, uh, Gaylord Perry, Ferguson Jenkins, um, Billy Bean. Like, I got everything baseball related cards, memorabilia, all kinds of stuff. So that's so cool. See, and now, and now, now I'm the Tinder for you two. It's in Bozeman and Salt Lake City are not that far, Bobby. We could be, you know, hanging out talking baseball. No, 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 no joke. If you, I'm, I'm going to get all my stuff shipped from my mom's because it's still like at my, at my family home, but I've got a bunch of stuff down here. I've literally got a collection of stuff that is worthy of the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Oh man, I'm jealous. I I had a really I was a bat boy for the Orioles and the Marlins, so I had the coolest collection. And um, basically, my entire collection got like uh, demolitionized by uh, a parental unit. So uh, I have nothing from uh, those years. But uh, I would love to see your stuff. But I'll give you an anecdote about uh, investing in people and training people. So I remember I went to this camp that Pete uh, taught for a week. And it was basically all these prospects. And we were all young, you know, like 14. And everyone got a picture with Pete. And he wrote the same greeting, you know, best of luck, you know, Pete Rose to every single kid. But on mine, he wrote a different one. He wrote, keep working hard. And there was this sort of mantra that he gave me, which is, it doesn't matter if you have talent or not. Working hard is a talent. And it's a talent everybody has. And it's up to you how much you invest in that talent. And that work ethic, that sort of blue-collar work ethic, still is with me in if I'm on an ice climb or if I'm on a film set 
or pursuing anything as an adult, that little nugget that he gave me as a kid uh, really affected my life in a big way. You know, besides all the kind of crazy and funny stuff that we did together, you know, he did something really, really positive and good. Um, and he didn't have to, you know, at that point he was banned from baseball. There was nothing he was going to get out of it. I could have turned out to be just some loser. Um, but he, he took it upon himself to help someone when he could. And that stuck with me, you know, to this very day. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So recently your two passions, your two, your two lives, you know, your Bruce Wayne and your, your Batman have come together because you got to actually make a film about ice climbing. So talk to me a little bit about how that came about. So, uh, The segregation, if you will, of movie-making life and climbing life uh, came together finally out of, of course, monetary desperation. (laughs) We really really wanted to go to uh, India um, because uh, through an amazing story, uh, I was invited by this Indian ice climber that I randomly met at a bar. And uh, he basically said, you should come to India. There's this valley that no one's ever ice climbed, ever. And it's the biggest treasure trove on planet Earth of unclimbed ice. And I was like, wow, that sounds really interesting. He had pictures. This sounds like some bullshit. And he started showing me pictures. I was like, holy cow. So I got with one of my buddies who's on the same team on La Sportiva. And I said, Karsten, there's this place in India we need to go. And Karsten's a homie. So he's like, great, let's do it. And we went to Sportiva and said, hey, uh, we want to go to India and do this trip and we want to go climb this ice and go on this expedition and they're like sounds cool uh we don't think there's any ice though in india so we'll make you a deal we'll pay for your trip they didn't really pay for the whole trip but they paid for most of the trip uh if you bring us back a film about uh the ice you climb and if there's no ice there's no film there's no funding so it's kind of like a casino deal it's like are you willing to bet on india ice for like the house and we bet the house and it came up big. Um, and this expedition was really cool because it wasn't only about, Hey, we want to go explore this new Valley, um, for us that hadn't been ice climbed in, uh, by any Westerners. It was, we wanted to help this community. So I met this character, uh, named Karn Kauschwick. And if you check out the movie, it's called Himalayan ice. It's being released by Sony Pictures on April 21st uh, on all the digital platforms. You can get on iTunes and Amazon. Um, but I was literally like sitting at a bar up on the shores of Lake Superior, Bobby. Uh, and this Indian guy walks in in a leather motorcycle jacket and a set of Tarango Raptors, which is a very obscure ice tool over his shoulder. And I look at him and he looks at me like as if to say, like, what? Like, you know, some white guy staring at this Indian. I was like, hey, you. And he goes, he's like, yeah, what's up? And I was like, come here, we're going to be friends. He smiles, he walks over. I start, it's like, how those Raptors treating you? And he's like telling me he likes them or whatever. I was like, so what's your story? What are you doing here? Because I was so intrigued. Like the guys like dressed up, like if you ever been to the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, on the shores of Superior, everyone's in like camouflage and like Polaris jackets and drinking like, you know, cheap beer. And there's this suave looking Indian man, like, like James Bond, you know, of New Delhi walks in or something. And he starts telling me he's here to speak on the state of Indian ice climbing. And I was like, there's ice in India. He goes, Oh yeah, look. And he starts showing me the pictures. He starts telling me about this valley. And he's like, 
you should come to Indian climb ice was like his fourth sentence in. Like we knew each other like a minute and a half. And I was like, what's the name of this route? And he goes, never been climbed. I go, what about this? Route? Never been climbed. So I was like, damn, because in ice climbing, we're all searching the world for ice. In fact, any of the listeners are staring at a frozen waterfall. I want to see it because like literally ice climbers, all we do is search the globe, search the internet for new unclimbed ice. And suddenly this guy I meet lives in the Himalayas and has tons and tons of unclimbed ice, but he has a problem. Uh, All the people in the village want to climb the ice and are interested in climbing, but they don't have the means to. Uh, In India, for instance, 250 million people live below the poverty line, which is basically like the population of the United States. So I realized that this trip could be an opportunity to, one, go somewhere new um, and discover maybe some new ice. I'd studied Eastern philosophy. I was really fascinated with India. I've done a lot in yoga and things like that. So there was an innate, you know, I've always wanted to go to India. This is the opportunity. And then even more so, there was this opportunity to help people. I could go to India and not just like, oh, I'm a white guy and I'm privileged, come to your country and climb your ice. I could go there and maybe help some folks out that need it with equipment and opportunity and uh, some instruction because they were trying to start their first ever ice climbing festival in India. Um, So all I do is teach ice all winter. So the idea of going to India and teaching Indians to climb ice was super exciting. Um, And that's kind of how the trip started to unfold. And we set out there to make a short movie, maybe like six or seven minutes, turn it into an hour long feature film. And it includes us putting up the hardest water ice climb in the Indian Himalaya, uh, a route called Snow Leopard, named after uh, the snow leopards we ran into at the base of the route. So it was a pretty wild trip. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, I've had the opportunity to see the film because you were traveling around doing showings at different ice festivals. You came to the Twin Cities. Uh, so, of course, my wife and I went out and watched it. Really, really yeah. enjoyed it. Um, I don't you. want to I don't want to tell people like, of course, you should watch the film. It's 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 worth watching. I don't want to give away all the, the crazy plot twists that you guys encountered because there were plenty. But if I had to describe the film, I would say it's like one part free solo because there's like tension and there's this like man versus nature and there's like the, the, the innate desire to do this thing. And then the other half of it is more like dumb and dumber. Would that be like a fair? <laughs> There's a lot of I, I was thinking like Hangover meets Free Solo, but sure. Yeah, I mean, it was like, it was, it, was, it was really entertaining. It was super, there were some really funny parts. Uh, and, and I mean, it, it went by fast. Like all of a sudden the film was over and it was like, you were laughing, you were crying, you were really inspired by it. And, and like the vistas are just gorgeous. You know, the, the, the imagery of it all was intense. Um, so I, I, again, I'm, I'm really happy that we've got you on the podcast now because I really hope people will tune in and watch the film because it is amazing. Yeah, thank you. It was amazing to make. I mean, it was very unexpected. We knew we'd have challenges going into India, going into a valley that people really hadn't ice climbed much before. Uh, No Westerners had ever ice climbed there. Uh, We had no idea how many, like, problems we'd run into. I mean, literally, we're driving along the road and they said, we need to stop for a moment because they're doing road work. And they just drill holes and put dynamite in it. And they light it on fire. And boom, they try to expand the road. And they blew out the whole road. We're marooned. Like, you don't think like, oh, hold on. We're just going to road work for a minute. Like, I don't know, a dump truck's going to come out. You don't think they're going to pull out like a huge sack of dynamite like Wiley Coyote and blow up the whole fucking road. 
But that's literally like just like one of a thousand things that we experienced um, in our trip to India. And it was awesome. Uh, most of all, because the people, like they're yeah. really kind, fun, uh, nice people who are really interested in uh, going beyond, you know, their experience in the mountains and trying something new. Even the monks in the monastery were excited to have villagers try ice climbing because in the wintertime, they have no tourism dollars or any economy. So it's very poor. Uh, there's some a lot of alcoholism and issues that they'll have in these villages high up in the Himalayas. But in the summertime, people come up and, you know, take pictures and kind of experience it. So when they realize, oh, ice climbers will come here in the winter, they'll like spend money, they'll keep the place you know, like, you know, with zero trace and, you know, clean and nice and uh, really have an idea of investing in the community and the land. They're really excited to welcome us in. And then suddenly we had like these Buddhist monks, like in the red, you know, look, looking like Dalai Lama telling us like, go down there. We think there's ice down there. It was crazy. It was super fun. So are you still in, in close contact with those guys? I mean, how are, how are they doing since the film? Yeah. So Karn, uh, our main guy in India, actually came to the United States and stayed with me for a month and kind of showed him all the great uh, ice climbing destinations, uh, the Western Rockies. Um, but the festival itself is doing great. They're in their second year. Uh, they have even more attendees than before. Uh, most importantly, all the gear we left there is we brought duffel bags worth of gear like you would on an expedition. Instead of taking it home, we left it there for them. And we talked to them beforehand, asked them specifically, what do you need? And they gave us kind of like a, a big list, uh, some of which was kind of normal and some of which was kind of interesting what they needed. And we brought as much as we could for them. And they continued out and did first ascents uh, way after we left for the next two years. So they're going into their third year of the festival and it seems like it's stronger than ever, which is super inspiring. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Um, and, and La Sportiva had a lot to do with that, right? I mean, they really... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah La Sportiva, I mean, they're makers of uh, climbing shoes. So like the shoes Alex Honnold wore on Free Solo, they're the makers of those shoes. They make climbing boots, they make apparel and, you know, I tease, but they really did believe in us uh, well before anyone would ever... A dream of believing uh, in this project and backed it and backed the idea of like, you know, helping these people because, you know, in the climbing world, there really is two types of athletes. There's like, you know, the, hey, look at me, you know, I'm a badass. And there's like, hey, I do really cool things and I want to help you do cool things. Mm -hmm. And I've always tried to be the latter of the two. Like, you know, sort of like when we were talking about Pete Rose, like, yeah, Pete Rose can hit a baseball, but I remember Pete Rose, not because he was just good at hitting a baseball, it's because he helped me. And I try to help others through my ability. Like, yeah, if you throw me at a steep waterfall, I can do it. Uh, you know, it's Snow Leopard, the hardest water is climbed the Indian Himalaya. Every hard pitch was led by me. Um, and I'm proud of that. But I'm most proud of, of like, my students. Uh, I've got, like, this 15-year-old girl named Alyssa, who I've been training for the past four years, since she was, like, 12. Um, and to watch her growth is way more gratifying for me than just saying, okay, cool. I went up something else that's hard and steep and overhung. And, you know, that's a very limited portion of what I do and how I see myself as an athlete. If I can help as many people as possible, that is really inspiring because ice climbing is a consequential sport. You know, it's uh, a lot like working with those tier one uh, military personnel you know, if you don't know what you're doing out there, you can get yourself smoked in a second. 
Um, and that's not to put it on the same level as our military. I mean, what they do is truly heroic and amazing. What we're doing is athletics. But if you're dead, you're dead. Um, it doesn't matter, you know, if a big chunk of ice fell on you or someone dropped it out of the sky. Like, you don't want to get killed uh, in your pursuit. So I take a very serious mentality for myself and my students. Uh, and that goes into my training. That goes into the investment I put into the, the people I try to mentor. Um, because a lot of people invested in me. And climbing is kind of like links in a chain. And we're all tied into that chain. And when you're just like, hey, look at me, I'm a bad mofo. Uh, and you stop investing in other people, that chain stops. And to me, that's really sad. Um, so I've tried to use these opportunities, whatever they are, um, to invest in those others. Now, so you and I, we, I basically, I've always known you as a climber who also made films. And that's interesting because I had a production background. So it's like, oh, hey, that's cool. Like, you know, it kind of kind of worlds collide. But when Bobby and I were in L.A., we actually we ended up uh, colliding with your your film side as well. Um, as we were, we were visiting, uh, some trainers out there and doing some podcasts and we're walking through a little, uh, a little diner and across the diner, we hear a little, Hey, Bobby, Joe, and some guy, neither one of us knows stands up and he's like, uh, he, I mean, he was very apologetic. Sick. I'm sorry. I like uh, fanboying us a little bit. Uh, it was my buddy Rip. Yeah, it was, it was Rip. And, and yeah. Rip is just like, you don't know me, but I'm a huge fan of the show. And then he just turns to me and he's like, I'm friends with Ari. And he began to tell me that that morning he had dropped you off at the airport and you had just happened to say, oh, hey, Bobby and Joe are going to be in town. Wouldn't it be weird if you ran into each other? And there we were. So Rib is a guy that, that you've used a lot in films. I mean, I, I, I've looked up and watched everything you've ever produced. Uh, and oh, I see he's in there. You're still friends with me? Thank you. <laughs> Funny. So the, the connection, you know, the, the force is strong with us because Rib turned me on to Bobby's Instagram. Like, he's like, dude, you follow this guy, Bobby Maximus? And he's like, dude, you got to check him out. And this was years and years and years ago. So I started following Bobby. Had Rib not said, follow Bobby, I would have never met you. And we wouldn't, the three of us wouldn't be sitting here talking. And I don't think I would have had the success I did on my expedition had it not been for the, the work and the time you gave to me. Because you gave me so much. Like, you know, people are like, oh, well, he hired a trainer. Like, you know, Joe basically did it for free. I don't think basically, I think you did train me for free. Uh, and you spent so much time and effort. Um, and I don't, you know, why? Like, did you just like me? Did you like, were you bored? I'm sure there's lots of people that want to be trained with you and by you. Like, I never got a chance to ask you why, you know, uh, why you took that interest in me. I'm, I'm <laughs> actually going to answer that. It was an elaborate plan for us to get Pete Rose on our podcast. Yes! <laughs> I love it. He's been working for years in the making. We need Pete. I hope Pete's listening or someone who can get to Pete, who gets us in front of Pete. Uh, yeah, I would, I, that would be great, Joe. Uh, but yeah, I just I, I think that was so funny that we met him there. I mean, 11 million people in L.A. and we just happened to run into him. Like that was, uh, he said, stars aligned for that. But I, I get a kick out of that story. Um, but Ari, this, this has been phenomenal. It's, it's been too long since we started this podcast. I finally got you on here. So I'm, I'm really glad that you took the time today. I'm glad this worked out. It's good to see you, man. Yeah, oh, it's an honor. Uh, listen, the work you two do to help other people is super inspiring. I think you take the art form of, you know, physical fitness and share with folks. And, uh, just like the way I've tried to share climbing with people. So I'm inspired by the podcast and the work you two do. 
Bobby's book has changed my life. So if you're listening to this and haven't read it, get on it because it's truly uh, a transformational read. So thank you guys. Thank you. I do. I do have one last question though. Um, and it's, it's a bit of a serious one. I, I want to watch this movie. How, if people are listening to this, cause it's going to drop before the movie launches. So people have a chance to get it. Uh, do I, do I have to go to AMC? Uh, do I have to, do I order it on the Amazon? How do I get it? Yeah, so the two easiest ways to get the movie are you can go to iTunes and you can pre-order it before April 21st. After April 21st, you can go to Amazon or you can go to iTunes and uh, rent it or order it. Any way you stream your movies, it should be available through those uh, two major services. Awesome, thank you, because I'm, I'm super interested and I'm sure after listening, people will be super interested in it too, so. And, and Ari, where do people find you? If they're interested in what you're doing, they want to learn more. Yeah, so if you want to climb with me or learn climbing or just uh, chat about anything, movies, etc., um, my Instagram is Das Novak, D-A-S-N-O-B-A-K. And uh, it's the easiest way, I'm always on there. I check my DMs so you can slide on in, shoot me a message. Um, and if you want to climb with me, go check out a climbing festival, you know. Climbing can be super expensive and seem like, oh, I can't afford it and can't do it. But there are festivals all over the country, uh, many of which I teach at. And for as little as like 125 bucks for the day, you can try out ice climbing and see if it speaks to you. Awesome, Ari. Thank you so much. Thank you, brother.